All right, so we're in week. Does anyone know what week it is of our splash series? Four. Yeah, week four of our splash series. And we have been diving in because we want to end our summer with a splash. We want to wrap up the summer with a splash. So we want to go deeper in our faith so that we may reach out further for God and his kingdom. We want to make a big splash with our outreach, with our discipleship, our evangelism, our, our, mis- our mission. And we've been using this idea of a cannonball, right? When you dive, you jump into a pool, you do a cannonball, what's the number one like, goal of a cannonball? Yeah, to make a big splash, as big of a splash as you can make. But here is a very simple but important truth for us to hold on to. You can't make a splash if you don't jump in. You can't make a splash if you don't jump in. You see, God calls all his followers to follow him, but sometimes we just don't want to. It's kind of like, do you remember the first time you ever went on a high dive? And you get up there. Maybe some of you have never been up there because heights are just not your thing, but you can imagine you're up on a high dive and you're looking over. Like, mmm. I don't think so. It looks a way, uh, way higher up here than it does down there, right? I remember that really well. And if you're like me, the first time you go on a high dive, you're like, see ya, and you go back down. It takes courage and it takes trust and kind of surrender to the fate of the pool <laughs> to jump off that high dive. You can't make a splash if you don't jump in. And sometimes we just mm, don't want to. So we're going to look in the Bible to help see how really, in terms of our faith, it's just not a good idea to not jump in. If you did the reading this week, out of all of our readings this week from our Splash Bookmark Challenge, what story do you think would give us a good example of what not to do in our faith? Jonah. Poor Jonah. Poor Jonah. (sighs) We're going to beat up a little on Jonah this morning. With love. (laughs) That doesn't work, does it? Jonah. Is he up there? Look at him. Oh, poor Jonah. So let's read from Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read mostly from chapter 1 with a few excerpts throughout. Uh, I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. It will be on your screens both here and at home. But uh, if you wanted to turn there with me, you're welcome to. Just leave your Bibles on the pews and we'll make sure to clear it. Got a bookmark there. Jonah 1, hear the word of the Lord. So the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to that great city of Nineveh and announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah, he got up and he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. All right, Jonah. So Jonah was a prophet. Now, prophets are ones who hear from God 
and are then represent God to the people. They speak what they hear from God to the people, and they also represent the people to God. So Jonah had some kind of relationship with God, and he, he walked with God, and, and God had appointed him a task, a mission. It's this assignment, but it disgusts Jonah. He doesn't want to do it. Why is that? Well, Nineveh, that they, they were, it was the most important city in Assyria. And Israelites, including Jonah, grew up just hating the Assyrians, okay? They were bad news. I mean, God says in verse 2 that he saw how wicked they are. And then Nahum, that's another uh, prophet, it's a book, just two beyond this. It gives us a specific look at some of the ways that Nineveh and, the, and Assyria were wicked. So take a look. It says in Nahum 1.9, they plotted evil against God. They exploited the helpless. They were cruel in war. They were not fair. All is not fair in this war, right? And then they practiced idolatry, prostitution, and witchcraft. We also know this is just the cliff notes, okay? This is just like the top one, two, three, four, five, six, the top six. But they were bad news. They were wicked. The Assyrians were the bad guys. And so Jonah's assignment was to announce judgment, God's judgment against them. You would think Jonah's enemies announce God's judgment. I'm all in. Let's go. Except he's not. He runs the other way, complete opposite direction. And we learn why from the man's mouth himself at the end in Jonah 4.2. When Jonah says, this is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God. You're slow to get angry. You're filled with unfailing love. And you're eager to turn back from destroying people. Oh, how dare you, God? He's using those as accusations against God. I knew you're merciful and compassion. You're filled with love. Of course, if I go and preach your judgment, it's possible, just possible, my enemies who I hate may repent and you might save them. And Jonah wanted nothing to do with his enemies being saved. So he had in the other direction. See, his hatred for Nineveh, it was greater than his love for God. I'm not doubting Jonah's love for God, but in his actions, what his actions show us is he's acting on his hatred for Nineveh being greater than his love for God. He wasn't willing to dive in. He didn't want to make any splash. He was like one of those Olympic divers, okay? No splash. He didn't think these people deserved it. They don't deserve God's love. So he runs away to get away from the Lord. Makes you chuckle, doesn't it? <laughs> You're going to get away from the Lord. It says it twice, like to get away from the Lord, hoping to escape from the Lord. Bad news, Jonah. And the Bible teaches us as well. God calls each and every one of us. He equips each and every one of his believers to further his kingdom. He has called you. So the question we have to ask ourselves when we read this is, are we currently running away or to God's call for our lives? Are we running to him? 
and saying, yes, God, I'll go where you send me. Or running away saying, not a chance. I don't want to. I don't like them. I don't like what you're asking. I'm not interested. Jonah shows us if you run from your call, you're running from God. Let's see how it worked out for Jonah. We pick up in reading with verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help. And they threw their cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. Well, you can't outrun God. You can't outthink, outsmart God. You can't overpower God. What did Jonah do? He tried to ignore him, to block him out. It's kind of like a teenager. When they come home from school, I guess when they close their laptop these days, and mom asks, what did you learn today? If anything, stuff, right? You don't learn anything. You block it out. Teenagers aren't the only ones that are good at this. We are all good at this. When we're doing something we know we shouldn't do, or we're avoiding something we know we should do, we can just go along sometimes and act like everything's fine (laughs) when there's a life-threatening storm all around us. Jonah fell asleep. A sound sleep. Can you sleep when you're really stressed out or worried or anxious or freaked out about something? Oh, no. Jonah had no problem catching some Z's. He fell asleep to what was going on around him. His lack of obedience, which in itself is a sin, lack of obedience is sin, it did not bother his conscience. Now, those above, look at the sailors. They are fighting for their lives. The storm that God sent, it's raging. They are praying to their gods. They're desperate, it says right there, the word desperate. They're throwing their cargo overboard. Whatever they're carrying doesn't matter because they want to do whatever they can. Not just to lighten the ship. Some commentaries say they were trying to offer sacrifices in case it's the God of the sea. Take our stuff and leave us be. That's the sailors, and Jonah's asleep. Jonah isn't even aware this is going on above him. He was running from God, and he wasn't bothered from that at all. See, whenever we find ourselves in this place, this, it, we can call it willful disobedience, okay? We are in serious danger. Sometimes we think if we just ignore what's going on, either in our world or in our hearts, or we ignore what God is asking us, that we think it will go away. But it doesn't. That's not how it works. It just doesn't. We may think it does, but it doesn't. And then if we think we ignore it, well, at least I'm not hurting anyone else. It's not doing any other harm. Surely no action's better than wrong action, right? But in the eyes of God, sin is sin, and inaction 
It might be a sin of omission, or it might be the sin of willful disobedience, knowing right and choosing inaction instead. And so Jonah's disobedience put those around him, the sailors, in danger. Our disobedience never affects just us. It never hurts just us, but it seeps out into all who are close to us. So the question this leads us to ask ourselves, if we want to be better, if we don't want to fall into this trap, we have to consider this hard question. What are we falling asleep to? Where it's time we need to wake up and pay attention. Where has our own way, our own desires, our own idea of what's right, such as Jonah's hatred for Nineveh, taken priority over God's way, which is love for him and his neighbor and the furthering of his kingdom and his cause? Jonah, he fell asleep to the danger of disobedience. So let's just see kind of how it plays out for him. Picking up, we're going to read from verse 6 through 10 here. So the captain went down after Jonah. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up, pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to to us and spare our lives. This proves that their gods hadn't helped. Then the crew, they cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. That's fascinating because God uses their means of superstition and and casting of lots. He intervenes it to make his path go forward. Because when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. So why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? And I love this. They're like interviewing him like, okay, what is causing this? Maybe if you're a tax collector, you know, someone's mad. And so this is happening. Or maybe because of this, you know, maybe because you're nationally. Like, what is the cause? Why is this happening? And Jonah knows what's going on because he responds. Jonah answers, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. Side note here. He claims to worship the Lord. But his actions we've read in this little snippet of his life do not display a man who's been worshiping, but who's been running. I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors, well, they were terrified when they heard this. For he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. See how they were terrified when they heard it was the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. The God of heaven who made the sea and the land. You see, it's not the God of heaven, and that's it, or just the God of the land, whoever sees that, or the God of the sea. They had gods for everything. The pagan gods, it was very specific. The God of the water bottle, the God of the laptop. The God, I'm kidding about that. But you know what I mean? They were very specific about their need. So when they hear this is the God of heaven who made the land and the sea, he has power over all of it, that terrifies them because that's outside of their concept of what's possible. This is a powerful God. And this man, Jonah, is running away. Wait. Your God is this unfathomably powerful? Why are you running from him? In nearly every way, when you read this, these pagan sailors, they show more faith and understanding of the reverence of our holy God 
than Jonah does. Let's continue on. Picking up with verse 11. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? So Jonah says, throw me into the sea. It will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm, it's all my fault. Things catch up to you when you're disobedient. Instead, the sailors, they rowed even harder to get the ship back to the land. But the stormy sea, it was too violent for them. They couldn't make it. They cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors, they picked up Jonah and they threw him in to the raging sea. The storm is stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice. They vowed to serve him. These sailors are gracious. They knew if they threw him over, that's it for Jonah. He's, he's dead. It's done, right? There's no chance he'd survive. So they do all they can to save him. They've already been working hard to try and survive. Now for the sake of this unfaithful man, they're rowing even harder to try and save his life, to do anything possible to not throw him over. To save a man, they knew that was disobedient. Contrast that with Jonah, who didn't want an entire city to have the slimmest opportunity to be saved. Now, was being thrown overboard Jonah's only option? Do you think that's the only option Jonah had in that moment when they're kind of uh, interviewing him? Well, maybe. But what would it look like if Jonah's heart had turned then? When he recognized, I am the cause of the storm. God, all-powerful God is coming for me. Forgive me, God. I will do as you ask. But we don't have that. That doesn't say that. It doesn't show that. He says, throw me into the sea. Which kind of sounds like Jonah came up with like the nuclear option, right? Like he went right to the end, like A through Z options. This is whatever would be after Z. There's not a letter after Z. You know what I mean? He submitted, if he submitted himself and humbled to God, I imagine this story would have played out different. But at this point, Jonah would rather die, for he surely thought he would die if he was tossed in the sea, than surrender to God and his call. And so, after doing all that the sailors can, and recognizing that it was completely pointless, they pray to God, say, don't blame us for the death of this man, because they believed he was going to die, and they toss him overboard. And Jonah, surely, as he hit the water, did not make a single splash. Figuratively, of course. But God here absolutely made a splash because as soon as he hit the water, it was calm. And the sailors, what do they do? But they give thanks and praise to the one true God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea. They were in awe of his power. They were ready to dive in. So when we have Jonah, 
who is in direct communication with God, a prophet of God, hears the voice of God. It's the same all-powerful God. And Jonah's doing everything he can do to not serve him because he doesn't like what God asked him to do. And yet, God, throughout this entire book and through all of eternity, he is endlessly gracious. Because look at what it says. In the face of certain death, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside that fish for three days and three nights. God doesn't give up on his people. God wants to rescue you, even if you've been disobedient. Sometimes the way God saves us isn't a five-star hotel, but the belly of a fish but a belly of a fish is a lot better than certain death. Even if you're running away from him, his goodness will always run after you. Now, Jonah, he was in this fish for three days, three nights. You know, Jesus refers to this too as a, as a similarity of when Jesus was dead for three days and was resurrected. But chapter two, verse one says this, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. Then, then, that's an important word. Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Think about that. What in the world is he doing in there for three days and three nights without praying? There's no TV, okay? Think about it. If you are thrown into a raging storm and a giant fish swallows you, are you going to cry out to God? I think so. I know I would be crying out to God because I'm allergic to fish. And I know what happens if I swallow fish. I have no idea what happens if a fish swallows me. But I know there's probably no EpiPens inside that fish. So I would be praying to God. 72 hours in the belly of a fish likely felt like 72 days. It is dark. It is damp. Each minute in that smelly place, the disgusting bowels of a fish, it would have stretched on and on. Time would have become abstract. You don't see the sun. You're left truly with nothing but your thoughts. But remember, Jonah likely thought he was going to die when he was thrown into that sea. He probably thought he had outrun God's goodness and mercy that he didn't expect his grace, God's grace, to extend to him after all of this. But you can't outrun God's love, and he learned that. What else? It likely made him mad. On some level, it likely made Jonah mad that being rescued confirmed what he knew about God, to be gracious and merciful and one who would relent from destroying Nineveh if the people repented. So stewing in the belly of that fish, it took him 72 hours to do a deep work within himself to finally get over his anger, his stubbornness, himself, and to pray to God. And honestly, Jonah was probably pretty close to death. If you see in Jonah 2, verse 7, it says, As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. It took Jonah to be stripped to the barest of bear to finally call on the Lord. And it sometimes takes that for us too, but I pray we never have to get that place and that far for God to do a work within us. 
Jonah relents. He prays to God. Jonah 2 is a truly beautiful chapter. It proves, it shows that Jonah, this is a heartfelt prayer. He knew God. He walked with God. So while we're hard on Jonah, the reality is he was beloved by God. He was a servant of God. He was used by God. And we see here something we should remember about Jonah, that he did walk with God. And so as soon as he prays, God immediately commands the fish to vomit him out. That's what the Hebrew says. He vomited Jonah out of the fish. Uh, Sorry, that's a little graphic, but still, it's kind of a helpful image for me. Because God isn't just the God of heaven, the land and the sea, but also the things that swim in the sea and the earth. And then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, sitting on the beach, covered in fish vomit. Get up and go to that great city of Nineveh and deliver this message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. I love that line. It just makes me laugh. Can you imagine him saying no at that point? That would not be good for Jonah. And I so wish, I so wish I could say that he went into the city, he preached repentance with fervor and with passion, and the people repented, and God saved them, and Jonah was overjoyed because he experienced what it was like to be saved. And so he wants everyone else to be saved. Enemy or not, it doesn't matter. God is good, and I want people to know it. But human selfishness and sin it is really hard for us to overcome because we see he goes into the city. He looks around and sees the people he hates. City's enormous. Takes three days to walk from one entrance to the end to see the whole city. And he does the absolute bare minimum to say he passed. Okay, it's like a middle schooler without any drive in him again. He does the bare minimum to pass. He uses five words in the Hebrew, only five words, which translates to 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And you know he wasn't saying it passionately. He was probably just, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Did you hear that? Okay, no? Good. But what happens, this is the beauty, God uses anyone, nothing will stop God's mission from going forward. The king, the entire city, they all repent, they all fast, they pray, they commit to stop their evil ways, they stop their violence. They don't even really fully know this God, right? So they're like, uh, put on sackcloth, right? That's a sign of humility and of mourning and of grief. Uh, Put it on all your animals, including your horses and the cows and the livestock. So just imagine this entire city, the cows are wearing sackcloth. The cows actually got dressed. That's cool. And God relented. God repented. He did not destroy that city, at least at this time, until their continued disobedience led to it. But for now, it is a happy ending for all but one. Jonah's furious. Furious. He goes out of the city. He is pouting. He is yelling at God. And God gently, in his non-stop loving mercy, tries to show him the error of his ways. He tries to give him perspective, tries to help him see and understand. But Jonah is blinded by his anger. He's so furious, he asks all-powerful God to kill him right there and then. Because he would rather be dead than live in a world where God saved his enemies. And God responds to Jonah in his, Jonah's anger with the most poignant question. See what it says in Jonah 4.4. 4. Is it right 
for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? What a needed question for all of us right now. With so much anger in the world and in our cities and our communities and our hearts. You see, God was right to be angry at Nineveh, and God was right to forgive and extend mercy. But Jonah was not right to be angry at grace and compassion and salvation. Right now, there are so many people that are angry, and so the question is, is it right for us to be angry? Are we angry at the right things? Another way this uh, translates in the Hebrew is, do you do well to be angry? Does your family do well for you to be angry? Does your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your community do well for you to be angry? You see, Jonah's one of these Bible characters, just the worst reps in the Bible. But I think we give him such a hard time because he's probably also one of the most relatable. We see ourselves in him. The parts of us we try and fall asleep to. He's you, he's me. And God is calling us to trust him, to obey him, to surrender to his will, to align our thoughts and our ways with his, to be angry at the things that God is angry at, to let the anger that we would use for destruction and to be harmful for others, to use it as righteous anger towards the things God is angry at. But sometimes we simply do not want to do what he is calling us to do. We don't want to dive in. We don't want to jump in because in our selfishness and limited scope, we just don't agree with God. But this is our takeaway from Jonah. You cannot seek God's love and run from him at the same time. What's the saying? You can't have your cake and eat it too, right? can't seek God's love while holding on to all these things that separate you from God at the same time. Sometimes God wants us to make a splash, but we just don't feel like getting wet. But what Jonah shows us is that what we see time and time again throughout the entire Bible, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who walk in obedience. And Jonah, he might be one we can relate to, because of our knack of disobedience, but we have another that we can relate to, Jesus Christ. The same gracious, loving, merciful God who sent his son to us, who's also fully God. He lived a fully human life. He can relate to us and show us. He showed us the way. He created the path for us to follow. His way is right. It is good. It is sure. And so we seek to follow after his goodness and mercy, knowing that there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. And so if we trust in the Savior, we obey his command, we believe he will lead us, and he will never lead us astray. When we do maybe start to veer to the left or right, we know his goodness and mercy is running after us. There's nothing we can do to ever outrun God's love. We need a little less Jonah and a lot more Jesus. This world does. Our communities do. Our families do. We all need a little less Jonah and a lot more Jesus. 
So if we are serious about our walk with Christ, if we are serious about wanting to serve him, serious about wanting to make a splash for him, we must ask ourselves these hard questions we've been contemplating. But even more than asking, we must be deeply honest with ourselves and then move into action. Where in your life is it time to surrender? It's time to trust. It is time to obey. Remember, you cannot make a splash if you don't jump in. So take these questions, take this teaching to God in prayer because he is merciful. He is slow to get angry. He's abounding in steadfast love. He wants nothing more than to save you from your struggles right now. And he will show us the way through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you please pray with me? Good Lord, we are deeply grateful for your word. And while it's painful to sometimes see ourselves within it, we know it is useful and helpful because it draws us and points us back to you. So God, we pray as we consider these questions, as we reflect on them, we reflect on the ways we might be running from you, we might be falling asleep to the things around us, we might be angry at the things that really we don't need to be angry about that you and your loving kindness draw us gently back to you and your path. God, we proclaim this morning that we trust you. You have never given us cause to ever doubt your trust. You are sure you are faithful 100% of the time. Because of that trust, God, we seek to take a step of obedience today. We trust that you will care well for us and guide us every step on the journey. And as we obey God, we recognize we surrender. We surrender those things that we're holding on to that we know are not good, that does not do us well. We love you, God, for how good you are. We love you. You sent Jesus to save us and to show us how to live and to relate to us. So we pray for this week that you will be gracious to us and that we will not run away, but run fully towards you for you and your goodness is constantly running after us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.